Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 138. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Massachusetts. And on Life of the School podcast, I like to sit down with some fellow life science teachers and ask them what's going on in the classroom and what are their hopes for the future. And in this episode, as a group of lifelong learners, we're gonna we're gonna come together and and think about how it is that we might possibly get an additional degree or additional certificates. So, you know, some are for career advancements, others are just for growing and learning. So with that in mind, we're gonna we're gonna look at the pros and cons of pursuing additional degrees uh, while actively teaching in the classroom, uh, which does sound like an impossible task every time I think about doing that myself. Uh, so we're going to kick off our, our episode with a goofy question. Uh, when you were in school, when you were in high school, were you a good student? Were you just good at doing school? Was it both? Was it neither? And joining us from Texas is Lee Ferguson. Welcome, Lee. Hello. So to answer that question, I would say I was both, um, you know, because my grades in high school were really good. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I was top 4% of my graduating class and all of that. I had, a, you know, almost 900 kids in my graduating class or whatever. But I was also really good at playing the game of school because I'm a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. um, and I also was back then I was a role follower. Like I, I was going to do everything my teachers asked me to do without question you know, and I was just going to do that stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. I got to college and it was a whole different ball of wax for real. So, mm. and, and I say was a rule follower. <laughs> <laughs> I am still to some degree a rule follower, but I also understand that there has to be some room for flexibility. Yeah. Rule following. I wonder what that's like. Um, <laughs> I think it's my I think it's that whole being firstborn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, being the nope. firstborn in the family. It's like nope. you're always was, the one was, that is held up as the example, right? You know? Yeah. I was I was firstborn didn't did that didn't stick. Um <laughs> All right. And joining us from Colorado is Hannah Hathaway. Welcome, Hannah. Hi. Um I think I was a good student. Um there definitely were times when I like played the game of school maybe a little, but mostly I just honestly really loved learning and my classes for the most part. And I didn't mind doing homework because I liked learning stuff. And that's probably why I went to school until I was 29. <laughs> so <laughs> I just enjoy being a student. I think I was a good student. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I had a feeling that you were pretty good at school because you kept doing it forever. Um. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, no, I'm good at this. I'll just keep just keep on doing this forever. It's great. Yeah. I had, a, I recently had a conversation with, with one of my former students who was, who was applying to another program and they were like, they were like, I can just keep doing this, but I think this is the last one I get to do. <laughs> and they were getting ready for a doctoral program. And I was like, I was like, well, yeah, then, then you'll do your postdoc. <laughs> so you, you'll put oh, it yeah. off a couple more years. I think that they are definitely one of those people who, who will be sort of in school, some version of school for, you know, the next six or seven years, even though they're in their mid twenties already. So uh, it's definitely a possibility. Yeah. I'm going to be that person when I'm retired and gray, yeah. like auditing classes at the local college, just like 
doesn't quantum mechanics sound fun? Let's go do it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know a handful of those folks. All right. And joining us from Missouri is Kelly Cluthy. Welcome, Kelly. Hey, um, my answer is really similar to Lee's because I was also just a really strict rule follower, lived to please my teachers. I cared a lot about my grades and just chasing after points. But I also like school a lot, too. Um, and I actually kind of joke with my students that now, as an adult, I love school so much. Like, if I won the lottery, I would just quit my job and go back to school and get degree after degree. <laughs> so um, I definitely got to be a better student the more I did it in college and my master's. But I've always enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, I, w I was definitely good at school. Like, yeah. I was good at gaming the system of... Like, what are the rules of this thing? What do I have to do? And what is the least I have to do to get enough so that I can come to this building where all of these teenagers that I like are, where's my girlfriend? They let me play soccer and track. If I don't get good enough grades, they don't let me play soccer and track, um, <laughs> you know, run track. So I definitely didn't go there. And it wasn't that I didn't like learning. I did enjoy learning things, but there were classes that were much more structured about following a set of rules. Um, and I really struggled in those classes. And in fact, I tended to do better in advanced classes where there were fewer rules. And when I was not in advanced classes, I actually, like I took, I remember changing math classes and going from one math class to another math class, they stopped checking the homework if you were in the advanced class, but they always checked the homework in our sort of middle level. And I did so much better in the advanced class where they never checked homework because I would do enough of the problems to make sure I could do it. But I wasn't going to do 35 problems that were exactly the same. Like it was like, that was a waste of my time. So if that was going to be a requirement and I honestly felt like classes that were structured of very much sort of the way I run my class now, like do it until you can do it. And if you can't do it, I would be annoyed at the puzzle of not being able to do it. And that was how I could get hooked into something. Um, but I, I definitely think as good a high school as I went to, um, there were inequities on how things got set up. And uh, I didn't put up with a lot of BS. Um, <laughs> so probably my worst grades were in classes where I didn't really respect this. I was like, this is just a bunch of rule following. I don't know, that, that, that. And I became, as you said, a much better student when I became an adult. And I could choose the classes I took based off of my interest. Um, and I certainly am a nerdy student now beyond <laughs> beyond belief uh but that's because i like to geek out on stuff and like to, to do the deep dive but um i i wasn't necessarily i had a little too much punk rock in me i think when i was younger to always follow all the rules <laughs> all right so um now we, we're talked about graduate pro programs and i i will say this is a 100 percent a lee ferguson special uh uh episode where <laughs> we started talking about topics and what we could do and and this is right up her alley as we've been discussing her program but uh so we'll get the lee last on this one but uh what would motivate you to apply for a graduate program in this point in your career um or if you've already done some graduate programs, why why did you pursue them? And and this is fascinating to start with with uh, with you, Hannah. Like, what are your thoughts about this? <laughs> um, yes. So before I started teaching, I got my PhD um, in pharmacology, which I'm going to say what that is because most people think it's pharmacy. Mm -hmm. It's uh, essentially like the science of understanding how drugs work. Um, so. My PhD program was like a traditional science research program, 
there was really no educational component. I didn't, or like T training, I should say. Um, I didn't have the TA or anything, anything I sought out to like learn how to teach. I did independently of my program. So a very different, uh, path. (laughs) Um, I knew I wanted to do that for anyone who is potentially interested in going and getting a PhD in like a biological sort of more research-based science. I just always, since I was in high school, knew that I wanted to do something in research. So that was like quite obviously the path I was going to take. Um, and I do sometimes think about like, oh, what, cause I love school. So I'm like, oh, maybe I could go back and like, not another PhD. That's insane. Um, maybe I'd like get a master's or something. And then I have to remind myself that like, no, you did enough school. You should stop. So <laughs> even though it's quite tempting um, at this point, I'm trying to tell myself no more degrees, just learning for the sake of learning outside the structure of a program. <laughs> yeah. So so now we've decided that if we're going to devise a program for you, we, there are there are components that would be like educational based or learning about teaching and and sort of research into like teaching methods and stuff like that could could draw you into we're not going to call it another degree but like a series of courses or something like that. <laughs> oh yeah, so there's definitely uh, programs that are interesting to me and I would love yeah. to do. Um, but I gotta, you know, I have a tendency to put too many things on my plate. Like I think a lot of us do here. Uh, so (laughs) always fighting that. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think you, this, we could, we could start meetings, uh, right with this, with this group of four people, (laughs) the overschedulers, uh, the overcommitters. All right. Uh, and Kelly, how about you? What would draw, what would possibly draw you into another, another degree or another program? Um, so I already have my master's in biology, which I finished early in my career. So I could teach some dual enrollment classes as well as be an adjunct and make a little extra money on the side. And that's been great. I've actually used that degree a lot and I'm really glad I got it. But I do also really want to go back to school. I don't feel like I'm done learning myself. And I really, really, really would love a PhD in biology. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I just don't know how I could make it work at this point. Um, so if that's not in the cards, I would like to get a PhD in curriculum and and instruction, or sometimes I think about library science and maybe Mm -hmm. a master's there and just like hanging out, being a librarian would maybe be (laughs) a good alternative to teaching because sometimes I think I need a little change. Especially the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, frequently you do end up doing that change. But um, yeah, I've, I've had a very similar feeling. And it's funny because I have many, many PhD friends. And when I say those words out loud to them, and they're like professors at colleges locally, um, like, and I say I, I would love to go get a PhD in biology, they're like, why? <laughs> and these are people with PhDs in biology <laughs> who are using their degrees to teach in college. But they like, they're like, why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> um, so it's it always makes me like think about that in the back of my head that I have these two very close friends who I've had dinner with several times who do that, mm-hmm. and they they think it sounds insane. So, <laughs> um, yeah, they're like, "You're so happy. Why would you do that to yourself?" <laughs> I think it's partly about pride more than anything yeah. at this point. Like, I'll, I'll admit that to myself. Yeah. Well, I also think there's a curiosity piece. I yeah, think that there sure. is a you know, when, when you do get to get back to the bench and you get to do some research, like, like I, I've gotten little tastes of that here or there, like 
you can it's very easy to see the excitement of just going into lab and working on a problem and not having to go and plan for like nine other, like I don't have to, I'm not teaching five classes. My job is to just go and do science um, and make like build up debt and make no money, but just to work on getting, <laughs> just like focus in on a deep question of science. And the dream, like, there's an, literally the yeah, dream. And, but that's like, I mean, for a certain type of nerd, that is like super appealing that like you're like, like your entire life is about figuring out the cladistic differences between this set of tardigrades and this set of tardigrades and running a whole bunch of series of labs and sequences and then getting numbers and then asking questions about like membrane permeability in this group versus this group. Like, like that, that kind of nerddom. I'm not going to lie. It appeals to me like crazy uh, to to do that and to spend five or six years. At the same time, it's also easy to ignore all of the false steps and the false starts and the negativities. The grass is always greener when you're not in the middle of one of those programs. And I think when you talk to people who've been through those programs, and maybe Hannah could <laughs> chime in on this, that there are definitely frustration walls that you'll hit that are probably not very easy for us to see sitting where we're sitting. <laughs> As she nods vigorously. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely some uh, frustrations, yeah. but I got to say, there are a few things more fun than going to a like super esoteric scientific conference. Like one of my best professional moments ever was going to a mini conference on G protein coupled receptors. And I got to meet Robert Lefkowitz, who had just won the Nobel Prize. And people were like taking pictures with him, like he was a rock star. And like no one else <laughs> would understand why that's cool. But it was just amazing and like it's hard to replace that feeling of just like, oh, we're all such nerds yeah. and we love it. And that is pretty great. Yeah. The closest I get to that right now is that I I tweet out and then like I have uh, you know, I had Seth Bordenstein uh liked my tweet of my Wabakia gels. And I was like, Oh my god, I'm in the kitchen and I'm like, Seth Bordenstein liked my my lab and Without missing a beat, my 14-year-old said, the Seth Bordenstein. Like, <laughs> he totally won the room. Totally won the room when he said that. So uh, anyway, but I, I completely appreciate that. All right. Uh, well, it's time to wind Lee up. Uh, <laughs> Lee, what, Lee, what would what would make some crazy, you know, I don't want to, um, beginning of middle-aged uh, person um, <laughs> Uh, go back to graduate school <laughs> again <laughs> because this is not my first rodeo yeah. so um so first of all my late mother always used to tease me about being an eternal student mm -hmm. and i was like no no she was right i mean mm -hmm. she she was totally right um i love school i mean i do i i've always really enjoyed school i mean i didn't make that very obvious in my my answer to the earlier question, but I've always loved school. Um, and so the first time I went back to school was actually very early in my teaching career because my, my former school district paid for us to go to school, right? Like, and that is almost unheard of now. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure it is not something that schools do, but back then they were like, Hey, if you want to get your master's in curriculum instruction, we have a program with the university of North Texas. We'll send you. I was like, sign me up. I'll go, you know, had to take the GRE and all that good business. And so I went until I left the district because at that point I was still paying for my undergrad and, and all of this. And so I couldn't afford to go back to school. And so I, I, you know, stepped out of being in graduate school until 2006, which coincidentally was also when I paid off my undergrad loans only to assume graduate school loans. 
And so I went to um, UT Dallas and got my master's of arts in teaching in science education. And at that time, the reason I went back was because I just wanted to learn. I was like, okay, this will be a great experience for me. I will learn. Um, maybe, you know, I can use this to, you know, take a step up or something. And that hasn't happened yet because I graduated <laughs> almost 15 years ago. But, you know, in the last year or so, I've been feeling, well, the last couple of years, I've been feeling what I like to call professionally restless. Um because I'm just like, okay, I love what I do. I do. I truly, truly love what I do. Like the way y'all are geeking out about science, I geek out about education and learning and teaching. And, and, and so like, if I could meet the late Grant Wiggins, it would be amazing, but I can't. <laughs> Although I did get to do a book study with him. Like he actually led us in an online book study for understanding by design which was really cool. Um, but if I could meet like Alfie Cohn and mm. Sharon, you know, um, Bloom, the woman that wrote the ungrading book, that would be just phenomenal. Um, so to me, I would geek out over that kind yeah, there we go. I would geek out over that stuff. Um, not that I wouldn't geek out over science. Don't get me wrong. I do love me some science. It is fantastic, but I was not meant to be stuck in a lab doing research. I, I spent enough time in labs, you know, early on in my teaching career to learn that lab being a lab rat was not for me. Um, I liked it for the nine weeks every summer that I got to do it. And then that was it. <laughs> but, um, you know, this whole feeling of professional restlessness, I was like, okay, I need something different to challenge me. I need something new. I'm not ready for doctoral work yet. You know, because to me, if I'm going to go on and get that doctorate, I'm going to quit teaching. I want to be able to devote all my time to doing that and doing that well, because to be in school and to go to school at the same time is rough. Mm. Um, you know, those two years that I got my master's, those were probably the two most unhealthiest years of my life, both physically and mentally. Um, and so not wanting to repeat that again, I'm like, all right, if I go back for a doctorate, I'm going to, I've, I've got to quit. I've got to quit teaching because I'm not one who half-asses anything. I am going to put a hundred percent into everything that I do. And I know that when you're in school and going and working full time, it's hard to do that. Um, and so I decided, you know what, I've already got a master's degree. I could just get principal certification, you know, admin certification. It's only 18 hours. I can go to this school, do it online. Quick, quick, quick. It's a great program. Okay. That's what I'll do. And so now I'm in this program through Lamar University where I'm getting my principal certification. And, you know, I go, I, when I went into this program, I was like, yeah, I don't know if I really want to be a principal. I know I want to be a curriculum supervisor because around here, all the curriculum supervisors pretty much have administrative certificates, right? And when you look for jobs in this area, they all basically require that certification. So I'm like, all right, if this is the game I got to play, game on, let's go. <laughs> um, but the more I think about it, I'm like, you know, being a principal might actually be kind of fun. <laughs> it, it would definitely be challenging in a different kind of way. I would still get to work with kids. I would get to do work with teachers, you know, in ways that I don't currently get to do now. And so I'm like, okay, maybe I'll be a principal for a little while. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how I feel once I get through my internship. And that won't happen until the fall. So, so we'll see. We will see. Uh. 
Well, I, I think that uh, I do not want to be a principal. Um, <laughs> I, could say, I could say that safely. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, I've, if one thing has taught me, uh, if one thing I've learned throughout this pandemic is, gosh, those jobs are impossible and I am not cut out to do that. In fact, I said to my new principal, we had a faculty meeting and some some things were said by faculty members that like I was like how I was puzzled by how they said it and how coolly and how calmly she she listened, she acknowledged, she reframed, she redirected, and I was like, yeah, I don't have that temperament or skill set. <laughs> I would be a disaster if that was me. You know, um, it, you know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses, and I do not think I would be a particularly good person. Similar to like. I feel like it's a lot of rule setting and it's a lot of like, it's a lot of negotiating. And, and while we do some of that in the classroom at the end of the day, I get to really deal with teenagers, biology and education on a daily basis. And when I wouldn't ever get to deal with biology, if I was a principal <laughs> and the teenagers I would predominantly deal with would be the ones who get in trouble and the adults I'd have to deal with would either be my colleagues, sometimes we're doing the right thing, sometimes we're doing the wrong thing, and then a whole lot of parents. And yeah, I look at that and go, no, no, I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm in the lane I'm in there. Um, <laughs> well, it's yeah. interesting that you say that. I mean, the more, I, the, the more I'm getting further into this program, the, the more I'm learning that it isn't all of that. Okay. Um, that yes, you, you are working with students and yes, you are working with teachers and parents and all of this other stuff, but it's not so much rule setting as it is coaching. Like if you do it well, mm. it's all about coaching and getting teachers to, to really reflect upon their instructional practice and how can we benefit students and, you know, are we doing right by kids, right? I mean, yeah. and that's what I'm seeing that, you know, because the class I'm in right now is a leadership class. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, the way that this class has been framed by, at least by the books and stuff that our professors are having us read, you know, they're, they're telling us, okay, good leaders, good school leaders do these things. And it's yeah. all... It's, it's none of the, the rule setting business and all of this that we all have this perception that principals do and more of the, you know, let's have conversations about coach, you know, let's have some coaching conversations, let's collaborate, let's work together, you know, all of that because, you know, I think our perception of what a principal does is colored by two things. Number one, what were principals like when we were in school? <laughs> yeah. And number two, how do we perceive them now that we are their subordinates, right? Yeah. And I guess it just depends on like how your own administrators treat you as a faculty member. Um, and yeah, I will say that there are some days when I don't feel like the relationship we have with our principals is collaborative enough. Um, but I think it's more collaborative than, you know, than it is in some schools. Yeah. So, yeah. And I will say it's going to vary enormously school to school and state oh, yeah. to state, as we've often talked about. Um, and what I feel like in Massachusetts is that um, there are a lot of demands in order to how to run a building in Massachusetts, some for very good reasons. Um, some just because they are what they are. Um, and I think that for me, knowing my own temperament, um, I would be distracted and annoyed by the things that I would be like, why are we doing this? Like, this is dumb. Yeah. <laughs> and as I said, like, I, I think you're 100% right that good 
good leadership involves a lot of those pieces. Um, I just think I would be distracted by all of the things that would annoy me as part mm-hmm. of the job, even if it's not a huge part. Like if I've just spent twenty percent of my time doing something that really annoys me, that's like way too much. <laughs> yeah. I would rather I'd rather deep dive on the stuff that. I, and as I said, I love what I get to do, so uh, I'm not. I don't have that like itch to go through something else. But what I do have that is similar to you is that um, I have like, like there's a clock ticking. Like I'm going to be working for like 20% of my salary in a decade. Like I'm going to age out of this thing just from like a practicality standpoint. And I'm going to be still relatively young. And because I'm going to be relatively young, when I look at these things, I go, gosh, what else would I like to do? And for me, I think about teaching methods. And right now I have my first student teacher that I'm working with this this spring. And it's, it's, it's great to sort of just, you know, like poor kid has to listen to me pontificate about education all day long. Um, he can't, he can't get away from me, but, um, but you know, like, and honestly, like revealing methods and talking about that and, mm-hmm. and talking about the education, but also talking about the science and how to end and student relationships and the combination of those three things, the, the subject, the students, the pedagogy, that's to me, the, the triangle of the work that we do. And, and, like, gosh, th- that would be so much fun to teach or to supervise student teachers or something like that. And to do that in Massachusetts, like you cannot turn around without running into a PhD or an ED in Massachusetts. They're just like, we're a very educated state. And so d- even to teach like adjunct around here, you need to doctorate. Like yeah. you just kind of do. Um, not always. There are some exceptions, but for the jobs that I would want, um, and there are jobs that will be available to me that I would want. Um, I think about that Ed D as that door opener that I need. I think that my career will serve as like, you know, here is my career. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> but it, it will only get me so far. And and I do think that there are components about education that are um that I don't know because my career has been the sole focus. And I do need to dive into some theory components and learn some more to be that person who understands from the other side how to teach a little bit better and also to tie into some networks to then grow professionally once I'm doing that work. So well and and that's the thing about going back to school is that you meet all these people who have different goals in mind for what they want to do with this advanced degree that they're getting. And you never know like like one of the one of the women I went to graduate school with at UT Dallas you know, she now coordinates the UTeach program mm-hmm. at UTD. And because of that connection that we made when we were in school together, I've gotten to do some professional development for their UTeach kids, which has been fantastic, you know, because it's fun to go into this room of, of you know, undergraduates who are, you know, they might want to teach, but they're not sure just yet, but they're in this program to kind of help them decide that and to get to tell them about, you know, okay, hey, kids, this is a great profession. It is worthy. It is fantastic. It is fun. It is frustrating. But, (laughs) you know, you get to work with kids and you get to teach them math and science and it's lots of fun. And that to me is so much fun. And I don't know that I would have had that opportunity had I not been able to make those connections with my classmates, you know, and some of the, the people I went to school with are still some of my friends now, you know, here we are, you know, 15 years later and and we're still in touch with each other and we're all still teaching in some capacity you know so it's that like you said that that idea of network building 
um, that can be so important, especially, you know, once you decide, okay, what am I going to do with this degree that I've gotten myself? You know, am I going to continue what I'm doing now or what, you know, (laughs) and then you start thinking about who you know and what they do and who do they know? And, you know, the possibilities are pretty endless. All right. Well, I think we've established that we're uh, four giant nerds uh, who would just love school and would take classes all day long if people let us or work at the bench for some of us. Um, <laughs> we could do that all day. Um, but uh, but there's clearly some barriers that would that would prevent us from that. And I almost want to say, like, we shouldn't say time because we never have any time. But uh, I'll acknowledge that time can absolutely be part of your answer. But but what are some of the barriers to attending graduate programs? Kelly, we'll start with you. What, what are what are some barriers for you for going back and getting that library sciences degree or getting that PhD in biology? Mm-hmm. What, are, what are the barriers? I mean, I think money is the big one here. College, college is obviously like super expensive. And to do that PhD in biology, I would probably have to quit teaching for a while to do it. There's no way I could balance both and do well mm-hmm. at both of them. So I just don't think it's in our cards to be able to take like the graduate stipend, which is usually what, like $20,000 in this area <laughs> instead of my teaching salary. Um, for those years, because my husband's also in education as well. So it's not like we're making the big bucks over here. <laughs> um, but I think maybe another master's is a little bit more reasonable. Um, my partner is finishing up his master's right now. So it'd have to be until his is over. But that might be something that I look into next year or two. We'll see. Yeah. And and Lee, how about you? What are I mean, you're you're committed. You're doing these things and you've talked about it, but but what yeah. are what are what would have been barriers to, to this continuing education? So cost, surely. I mean, yeah. cost is definitely a a big barrier. I mean, especially like let's I mean, if you think about now you have all these kids coming out of school that, you know, if they are teachers and they want to go back to school, it is likely that they probably have some kind of student debt you know, already that they're saddled with and then to assume even more debt to go back to school on because I don't know anybody who, you know, can pay for a master's up front, right? Like I will admit that right now I have some privilege in that area because I'm paying for my classes one at a time, Mm -hmm. right? I told myself I am not assuming any more debt to go to school. Not right now. I can't. So I'm just going to pay for this a class at a time. And thankfully the way they have it set up, I can do that. But I also work a second job that Mm -hmm. pays really well that allows me to do that. And not everybody has that privilege. And so, you know, I I recognize that I have that. Um, But cost is definitely something I consider, you know, that I think about, especially when I want to, you know, think about going back for my doctorate. Because as much as I keep saying, no, I don't want to do it, I have a feeling that eventually (laughs) I am going to go and do it. I may just wait until I retire. Um, that way I have the full time to devote to being a full-time student. Cause I mentioned that before it is tough yeah. to be a full-time or to be practically a full-time student and to be a full-time employee, especially yeah. in education. It's really, really difficult because you, we have, we have a, we have a job that, you know, pretty much requires that you bring work home, whether you bring it physically home with you or it's up in here in your head, you're always thinking about what you're what you're going to do the next day and how can I improve this lesson and da 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 da, da. 
I don't know that I can make headspace for the depth of reading that I'm going to have to do as a doctoral candidate, the depth of writing that I'm going to have to do and be able to give 100% to my students because I don't want to short them either. It's not fair to them. Um, and so you've got to have, you know, just not the financial cost, but the time investment and you've got to have support from family. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't have children, but I have a husband who, you know, every time I've been in school, at least this will be my second go round since we've been married. You know, I don't get to see him very much, even though we live under the same roof, because mm -hmm. every night I've come home, you know, since the beginning of January and I'm like, okay, hey, let's have dinner together. Da, da, da. I got to go do homework. You know, or I've got class this Monday night. I've got this. I've got that. I'm going to like Saturdays. I spend all day writing, you know, because I've got a paper I've got to turn in every Sunday. Um, and so you've got to have the support from your family or your partner or whoever, you know, shares your living space with you and your life with you. Because if you don't have that, it's going to make it that much more difficult for you to finish and to get through, you know, because they need to know how important it is to you that you're doing this as something for yourself, right? That this is, this is something you're sacrificing your time, you know, to do for yourself because you either A, want to learn or B, want to move up or both. Um, and thankfully my husband, you know, understands that, you know, he knows that, you know, I've always wanted to, you know, move up in my career. And then because I'm working full-time right now, you've got to have support from your administrators too. I think that's really important that they understand that, you know, yes, you're in school and, you know, maybe they shouldn't volunteer you for things because, <laughs> oh, they realize, oh yeah, you're in school. I mean, when I went back, when I went to my um, my head principal to get signatures on some stuff for this program because he's got to sign off on stuff, he's like, I was wondering how long it was going to take you to do this, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, because he, he's like, I'm just shocked you didn't do this sooner, you know, that I didn't sign up to do this administration certification sooner. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because I'm a little unusual on my campus in that a lot of the folks who hold principal certifications that aren't already principals only teach for maybe three or four or five years before they go off. And here I am, the old lady, you know, 25 <laughs> years in the classroom and finally decided, you know what, let's try this out. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, I have I have some issues with folks that don't stay in the classroom long before they exit for administration, but that's a whole other podcast oh, yeah. for a whole other time. <laughs> and so I feel like if I do decide to go ahead and go down the principal path, that I'll have some, some cred among my, the teachers that I have to supervise. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bring uh, any junior colleagues into that conversation because we've got our, ourselves in trouble awfully fast oh, yeah. um, as, yeah. as people have been in the classroom for a very long time. Yep. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think that the waves of experience you go through in the classroom, uh, you know, I, I was jokingly referring to somebody uh, going through like, like, oh yeah, they're going through the second wave where they think they figured the whole thing out because you go through like four <laughs> or five of those during your mm -hmm. early career where it's like struggling. So I was like, oh yeah, I figured this out. And they're like, oh wait. And they do a couple more years and then you have this, you have this moment where you're like, yeah, like I'm eight years in, everything's running totally. Uh oh, <laughs> um, and you gotta go through that. The, I, I feel like my whole first decade of teaching was a series of two years of like chaos, one year of feeling like 
I own this. And then the, by the end of that year, I realized all the stuff that I didn't know. Um, and that was pretty much my first decade of teaching. And I was describing one of my colleagues who is doing a great job and say, like, I think they're just about real life. They just started asking questions. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think they've just figured out that this comfort level that they have achieved for most of the last year, it's just about to get restless for them. And they're going to figure out all these other things they want to tear down and stuff like that, which is <laughs> kind of fun. Like, it's it's good, but it's, uh, yeah. it's, a, it's an interesting wave that you go through. Uh, Hannah, how about you? What are some barriers in your mind in terms of like preventing you? I mean, you are the lifelong learner that you say you are and you, and you keep wanting to go back to programs. So, so why, why not? What are some of the barriers for you? Yeah. Um, my answer to this question is complex for, for me personally, I think it's obviously time. Um, money is a, a big one too. Um, so I think, speaking more towards people, other teachers who are thinking about maybe going back to get a PhD in a science. I think my hesitation, if I was in that position, knowing what I know, um, is definitely like the finances part would be a big part. Um, when I started my PhD, I was in Washington, DC, which is a very expensive city. And my stipend was $27,000 a year. So um, I think, I hope for most teachers, that would be a pay cut. <laughs> um, it certainly would be if you were living in Washington, D.C. Um, it is nice that if you get a, a Ph.D. in sciences, generally you don't have to take on any loans. So that's that's a plus. Um, but it definitely is the kind of thing where you have to do it full time. So I don't think you could continue to to teach on the side or something. I did tutor on the side, um, but you, I don't think you could really do a full time teaching gig. Um, I think another piece that keeps me from going back for like an ed D or something like that is just um, the emotional roller coaster that is getting a doing research. Um, I think when I was a student, that was the most challenging part for sure, because you have to learn how to deal with all the fail failure that comes with science. And I couldn't good student my way <laughs> out of it um, by just like working harder and reading more and, you know, doing more things because sometimes your hypothesis is just wrong or sometimes those mice turn out to be embryonic lethal. And that was six months of your life that you wasted. And that definitely didn't happen to me. <laughs> um, so I do think as a teacher now though, um, that it's kind of similar feeling sometimes like you can put your whole heart into a unit or a lesson or like a student and it could still not turn out. Um, so I think, if you are a teacher who's worried about that component, I think um, you will have the emotional resilience to handle it. Um, but for me personally, I feel like I just don't know if I want to go through all of that again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I am tempted to maybe one day go back and, and get a master's. It's mostly the, just the financial component that makes me hesitate and, and obviously yeah. time. Yeah. Well, I think that the, the, I don't know that the financial part is really is really ever going to be solved and without you know support from the school that's going to be challenging but one thing I will notice as somebody who's been doing this for a long time it does seem like there are and maybe this is partly the pandemic is helping this it does seem like there are programs that are being designed that understand hey 
there are teachers, there's a market here of teachers who want more education, who want advanced degrees. Mm -hmm. And the number of, and we'll get into this in just a minute, but the number of like remote degrees and like online programs and programs that are scheduled and structured in a way that are at least not in conflict with being a teacher um, and are staged and structured in a way, um, it does seem like that's a case. And that seems like it's growing. Like every time I've gone and searched, the the barriers are being brought down in that way. Doesn't mean that we're they're gonna make the days, you know, 35 hours long, which is what we'll actually need to be able to have the time to do all the work and to sleep. Uh, but uh, that that does seem to be something that at least some of the programs being designed uh, to go into. But what you said, Hannah, really like resonates with me. Um, in addition to like, the cost and time, I think about like my personal well of emotional energy, um, particularly after the past two years. And I think, you know, sort of my talking about dealing with frustration, I think my dealing with professionals frustration, I am much worse at that now than I was two years ago. Like my patience for being in say, oh, I don't know, a faculty meeting where we're talking about something that is two emails. And I was like, why did we just spend the last 25 minutes being ready emails? Like, the amount that I get aggravated by that now <laughs> is so much higher than it was a couple of years ago. And I just think that it takes me very little to go from, like, I just have no patience for my time being wasted anymore. And maybe that's because I'm becoming a cranky old man. And that's just like my own thing. But I blame the pandemic mostly for that. And um, I know that all programs and all things that you're going to pursue are going to involve some paperwork and jumping through hoops and that sort of stuff. And I, but I do question you know, when I commit to something uh, similar to what we've all said, I want to commit to it. And, and I know that I'm going to need to have a little degree of resilience that, um, I haven't consistently shown in my life the last couple of years when I've gotten these things that are annoying. And I wonder about like getting to that place where I'm ready emotionally to say, yes, I'm ready for that next chapter. I'm ready for that next piece. And, and some things that I haven't been able to overcome. And interestingly, as we look at that, um, I've been waiting for like, I was like, I really spent a year trying to figure out how the heck I was going to take my GED and how I was going to study for, I mean, not my GED, my my GRE, how I was going to study for my GRE and, and take that test and, and, and do that and get the prep book and go through and all that. And some programs still were requiring it. The programs I was looking at were still requiring them. And then suddenly those requirements have started to disappear from programs over the last couple of years, which is interesting. Uh, so I might not be the only person who's not able to carve out time to do that stuff. And maybe I'm, I'm being a little hard on myself in there. But I know that I haven't been able to, like, if I really wanted to do these things and that was a requirement, two or three years ago, I would have found the time. I would have big figured out how to schedule that and how to study and I would have just made it done. But the fact that I haven't been able to the last couple of years actually tells me a little something about myself and the ability to, in these times, schedule myself to, to overcome what, frankly, I think an exam that is strictly busy work. I, I don't think there's value in that exam. Um, I don't take any pride in the score that I get in there. I test well. I probably would do just fine on it. I just could not be bothered to work on that at all in the last two years. And, and I think that I use that as a little bit of a proxy for me to, as a, as a check-in to go, Hmm, maybe that tells me a little something about where I am in terms of my readiness, not because the exam is important, but it tells me something else about sort of my, again, emotional well of, of energy to, to dedicate to those type of things. So, um, that's that's something that I've been thinking about. And so, you know, as as Hannah was describing, uh, dealing with frustration, I think you're tapping into something that I, I'm 
I'm well aware of for myself uh, has been an, has something that has been an issue. <laughs> All right. Well, let's transition. And uh, and now what we're going to do is we're going to do work for a bunch of people who are interested in this. We're now going to give you a laundry list of possible programs because um, we're a bunch of nerds and we looked some of these things up. So um, so uh, we're, we're going to give a couple ideas. So what are some of the options for those who are working teachers who are looking to attend programs? Uh, Lee, uh, let's get you. Let's get your uh, your laundry list here. Yeah, I was going to say, because I really think it depends on what your end game is. Right. Like I know most um, biology teachers probably are looking maybe to get a master's in biology. And and so. You know, and and the reason I was able to list all of these programs off is because either A, I had looked at these myself, or B, I have friends who've been through these programs. Um, and so there's a lot of online masters in biology programs just designed for teachers. Um, Clemson has one, and there's a ton of folks I know who've gone through that program. Um, there we go. We got an example. Kelly, um, <laughs> Mississippi state has one wash U and St. Louis has one. And I've got a few friends who went through that program. University of Nebraska at Kearney has one university of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign has one. And those are just a few. There are other ones. Those are the ones I know of. Um, like I said, because I know folks that have been through them or you, they actually advertise in the American biology teacher as well. Um, you know, I know that I, didn't really want a master's in biology after I started graduate school at UT Dallas. Um, that same science ed program that I went through at UT Dallas is now in a fully online program, the MAT in science ed. Um, and I believe they have one in math education too, for those folks out there who, you know, might want to do that too. Um, and then there are some doctoral programs as well. Now, as far as like a science doctoral program online, I don't know that those things exist, but the, the doctoral program that I am considering, you know, and when I say considering, I'm thinking kind of well down the road, um, Texas Tech has a PhD in science ed that has a STEM focus. And I'm, you know, I have a friend who just finished that program um, earlier this semester. Um, but I really think that if I'm going to do a doctoral program, I got to quit working. I got to, I got to quit working and be a full-time student. And that's only going to work if I'm retired because then I, then I can at least still draw an income, you know, my retirement income. Yeah. And so um, I may wait another four or five years before I decide, okay, that's it. And take the freaking GRE, which I agree with you <laughs> is just here. Let's do this to tick a box because I'm sorry if my graduate transcript is not sufficient enough for you to see that I can do graduate level work, then why do I need to take a freaking test to demonstrate <laughs> that I can do grad level work? Because this yeah. test has no bearing on my ability to be a good qualified graduate student. I mean, mm -hmm. hell, I've gotten to, I've gone to graduate school for the cumulative total of like five years now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, what's another four years getting a doctorate? <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, there's, there's a ton of online options. You just have to figure out what your goal is. Yeah. Right. Do you want to do science or do you want to do education? And for me, it's it's going to be education, just science education. So. Yeah. All right. Hannah, what about you? What, what do you know out there? And you're definitely bringing it from a totally different perspective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a whole little uh, smorgasbord of answers here. Um, 
So obviously, if you're someone who's considering a degree, like a PhD in a biology-related field, I mean, I also don't know of any online programs that would do that. I think you'd really be looking for like your traditional research-based institution. Um, I know if you are still like wanting to do biological research and want to have a toe in education, there's definitely opportunities out there to do both. I couldn't find in my quick Googling this <laughs> afternoon any like specific PhD programs for that. But I know like there's faculty at University of Colorado Boulder who do research in like the developmental biology department and also really awesome pedagogical research. Um, there was someone who I worked with during my postdoc who she worked with someone at University of Washington who was doing the same thing. So she got to do like hands-on bench research and pedagogical research. And she had like papers in both and went to conferences in both. Um, and so that like there's space there for you to find uh, like both things that you're passionate about. Um, I think if you are like me, I think where I am right now is sometimes I really do miss that bench science and like being deeply immersed in a scientific field. And so I think one of these years, for sure, I'll probably try to do something over the summer where I am doing uh, bench science again. So I, I would probably like call up some labs at University of Colorado and see if anyone would like a volunteer for a summer um, and just kind of learn some new techniques and be in lab meetings and be like, hey, I'll I'll train the summer students I know that you're going to have to like keep a good lab notebook and all those types of things. Um, I know that there's also universities who have specific, more organized programs for that. Um, Fred Hutch has one. Why does Washington have all the cool stuff? Um, <laughs> but there's a really cool program at Fred Hutch that I, it's only for Washington teachers. And I'm like, man, that would be amazing. Um, but I know I was talking to someone at University of Colorado, Anschutz, who's uh, thinking about starting a similar program for teachers to do like an immersive, uh, like little research intensive over the summers. And I was like, yes, please. I will be first in line. Please let me know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then in terms of actual, like formal graduate programs, I am most tempted by the mind, brain and education certificate from Johns Hopkins. Um, it's very much my jam of like education and neuroscience and just like, it's like they've made perfectly exactly the most tempting thing for me. Um, so I will be shocked if I don't eventually at least take so one Hannah, class from Hannah, that Can I, can I butt point. in for just a second? So yeah. one of my colleagues yes. is actually doing that program right now. She loves it. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard she great things. I've never that. talked to anyone who wasn't like over the yeah. moon about it. I'm pretty so, sure that's what Jamie Castle is um, working on that. She's out of Pennsylvania, so... I think so. I think she. I think they have, I think a, they have a doctoral program, don't they? Yeah, I think yeah. that's what she's doing. And I think doing. that's yeah. what she's doing. Yeah. I think she may have done yeah. the undergrad. I mean, the 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 first program, and now is getting the ed So, yeah. When you when you put that one, I was like, I think that's Jamie's. Um, she's working on that program. So, yeah, I know great reputations. So, um, and what you said about labs. Um, uh, one of the features of a lot of NIH. Um, uh, grants is is a community impact you know, and a lot of people will put that in so making friends with uh, people who run labs at universities you know if they're if they're applying for grants and you can provide a curricular connection for them where they can have you know community impact by a curricular tie to the work that they do um, they can write right into their grants that you know this teacher is going to come and work in the lab during the summer um it's how I've gotten some bench time during the summer. So uh, I'm currently working on a project that was 
totally going to spend my spring break of, uh, of, of 2020, um, <laughs> the university lab, uh, working on a program. But yeah, so, so still this is in the back background, but I, I definitely, there, there are opportunities if you can do it. It's hard. It's hard to get the writing and get the money, uh, to do those, but there are definitely opportunities to do those things. Uh, sorry, Kelly, what, what are we thinking for, uh, for opportunities as, as one of the people who've already been, uh, used one of these programs that mm-hmm. Leah mentioned? <laughs> yeah. So like Leah mentioned, I went through Clemson university to get my master's in biology and had a really good experience with it. I have got a lot of friends that have completed the program or are currently in it as well. And we've all learned a lot and it's been helpful for us getting in or foot in the door to teach like dual enrollment courses. Um, it really doesn't have a research component to it. You take a lot of the same coursework that other on-ground master's students do, but it's really geared for teachers. So a lot of the assignments I thought were really cool because like in the biostats class we had to take, instead of just like taking a test over the content, we would write like lessons that had to incorporate different statistical tools. And it was actually kind of nice thinking about how these things could tie into like lesson or curriculum as a teacher. Um, I'm also just going to plug the university that I'm an adjunct for, Baker University. It's a pretty popular choice in the KC Metro um, for teachers to get an online master's degree. They've got some good options and pretty affordable, and I really like working for them. So if you're, <laughs> you're interested, you can check them out. Nice. Nice. Uh, and and so a lot of the programs that, that have been mentioned here are things that, I, you know, I, I've either no friends who've done or, or as we've mentioned, um, I just got to plug two that we haven't brought up um, that are intriguing to me. And they're both sort of educational leadership associated um, one of which is a uh, university of Florida. Uh, they do a cohort online. So we talk about community in our previous episode um, and that's a case where you would apply and you get into a cohort. You would do, I think it's a week or two weeks during the summer they bring the whole cohort there, but the rest of it is online and they, it's a, it's a three-year program that you work in, but every summer you have a return to campus um, and do your program, but you're with the same group of students through your coursework to have that community feel while being in online classes. Um, and then similarly, UMass Lowell, which is local here, has another online program that is very much designed for teachers. And I know I know somebody who's a first-year teacher in that program, and I know somebody who's a second-year teacher in the program, and every time I talk to them at various things, they're like, oh, yeah, you'd love this program. It's perfect for you. Um, and I said, I just couldn't get off my tail the last couple of years to apply for it, but uh, definitely something that is interesting. So uh, I know that this, personally, is going to be a great uh, document. The show notes for this episode are going to be a wonderful reference for folks who want, because we will put links to a lot of these programs in here. So if you were driving around or just listening through your headphones and wanted to have some things or, you know, people who are looking at these things, feel free to uh, come and steal from the show notes that are going to be there. And that leads me into the credits. So uh, if you subscribe to Life of the School, uh, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice. You can get show notes um, on patreon.com slash lots. You can also chip in a buck or two a month uh, to support us there. You also can get show notes at lifeoftheschool.org. Um, I have all of my show notes posted up there. And again, links included. Uh, music on this and every episode is provided by Jake Jenkins and Ex-Magicians. And you can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Matthew Tweets or at Life of the School. I will tag this panel when I tweet out these episodes. So thank you all for joining us and I'll talk to everybody soon.